Welcome, Valley family. We are in week number three of our series that we're calling Divine Direction. Uh, it's based on this book by Craig Groeschel, pastor out in Oklahoma. And uh, I encourage you to take an a, a opportunity, maybe even to order this and read it. Uh, this message series just kind of really is hitting the real, real high points. There's so much more detail. In fact, the subtitle, we only have four messages in this series, but the subtitle to the book is Seven Decisions That Will Change Your Life. So just right there you realize we're, we're just really touching on just a few of the things. It really doesn't follow the book, just the big ideas of the book, but I'm enjoying it thoroughly. And, uh, and I think most of the reason is, a big reason is, this is the number one question that I'm asked about uh, as a pastor, and I think most pastors is, how do I know God's will for my life? And that was really the whole context of Pastor Craig Groeschel writing this book. Uh, and uh, it's selling like wild cakes. You can get it at Amazon.com or Barnes & Noble, wherever fine books are sold. Uh, anyway, uh, we're continuing this series, and uh, just a quick review of where we've been. We, we've talked about, in terms of decisions, the fact that the decisions that we make today determine the stories that we tell tomorrow. And, and most people that are you would look at and you say, oh, they're a great decision maker. They haven't always been great decision makers. It's not something that happens very naturally. You have to actually kind of have a plan and a strategy, and that's what we've been looking at. Uh, and, and statistics and studies show that as a, a general populace, that, that, that Americans especially are becoming more and more indecisive. More and more indecisive. It's harder because we have so many options. And there's also this idea that there's the perfect decision at different times in our lives. That, that we're faced with something that's like, what's the perfect decision? But how many of you know we don't live in a perfect world, do we? So how could there possibly ever be a perfect decision? Just a thought. But there's this illusion that there's a perfect decision when we face situations and circumstances in our lives, uh, and, and it causes indecision instead, a kind of an analysis uh, paralysis. In fact, recently, uh, I was talking with someone about just this whole process of making decisions, and I asked him the question, do you think that you struggle to make decisions? And, and he answered me, he goes, well, yes and no. Ding, 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 right there, you know, you just answered the question. Well, yes and no, you know, like I said before, I used to think I was indecisive, now I'm not so sure. But, but anyway, you know, it's just something that we just find ourselves like, I just, I, I'm not sure, I don't want to take a bad, make a bad decision. But as we learned last week, no decision is a decision. In fact, no decision is a bad decision. And, and so it's really important, I, I think all of us want some divine direction. You know, God, what do you want me to do? And we've talked about this over the last couple of weeks. Um, and and uh, many, many times we're really, I, I think I'd put it this way, we're vulnerable to uh, making bad decisions or no decisions because we have unrealistic expectations. Unrealistic expectations. We think there is a such thing as a perfect choice, although there, we don't live in a perfect world. And so it's kind of an illusion uh, quite honestly. We, do, we don't know the path, and, and so because of that, we're afraid to take a misstep or make a misstep. And we just suffer from paralysis. We just don't make any decision at all. You know, you think about your career, for instance, and you see someone maybe in your career path, and it seems like, you know, they're just an overnight success. But the reality is there is no such thing as overnight successes. Every single person, if you're looking in terms of career, 
that you say looks like an overnight success, they're the culmination of millions, literally, of decisions that led up to that success. And the fact about the matter is right now, for good or for bad, you are today the culmination of all the decisions you've made up to this moment. Your life is, my life is, the culmination of all the decisions that I've made up until this moment. And so we really need to kind of learn what God wants us to do and, and how to make decisions based on divine direction. And, and you'd think if there was ever a guy in the Bible that knew how to make really good decisions, it would be Paul, the apostle. And we talked about him a little bit last week, and I want to look at him again this week. There's this guy who, uh, he's credited by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, who, who wrote two-thirds of the entire New Testament. But what we found last week, and we're going to discover even at a greater extent this week, is this. Paul was not the most decisive person at all. But he understood something that I think you and I need to understand about God's divine direction in our lives. There's a process that God wants to take us through. And so that's really what I want us to look at in our time together. We need to embrace the process. Embrace the process. And we're going to look at this decision-making process, the process that God walks the Apostle Paul through, because there's four things with this process of, of making decisions that, that I think, I, I know I look at, back at my life and I, I've gone through that same process. In fact, I find myself right in the middle of that process right now. And I think when it comes to decisions that, that over and over and over again, God will walk you and walk me right through this process. And the thing is, embracing the process is like half the battle. When we just realize, okay, God's at work in some things here that I don't necessarily see all the details of. But I'm going to embrace the process. I'm going to trust God that he's working this out, and I'm going to follow that process. Paul, uh, we, we're going to pick up the story in the book of Acts. Paul has started the church of Ephesus. He loves the Christians that are there in Ephesus. He, he spent a, a considerable amount of time in the church of Ephesus. And now he feels some divine direction in his life. He feels like the Holy Spirit is leading him to leave the church of Ephesus. And he has this awareness, this, this, this keen awareness that I'm probably not ever going to be back here again. Because he has this sense of God's destiny and plan for his life that his life is not going to be too much longer. And in fact, we read the rest of the story we understand through history that he was executed because of his faith in Jesus Christ. And so he, he's, he's really uh, sad, but, but he feels God's direction in his life. And, and he's leaving his friends, the leaders, the elders, the eldership, the leadership uh, in the church of Ephesus. He's leaving it in capable hands, but he also has some real reservations about what may happen in his absence once he's gone. And this is where we pick up the story. Uh, and, and through this, I want to share four steps of this process. If you're faithful and I'm faithful in following Jesus, the Holy Spirit will lead us through this same process of decisions, step by step by step. 
So if you have your Valley Christian Church app, go ahead and open it up and you'll find there that we're going to be reading in Acts chapter 20 and you can follow along and and fill in the blanks because I I think this process, you're probably going to want to look back on it. Maybe it's going to help you identify where you are in this process right now or or maybe a month from now or a year from now, you're going to be facing something like, what was that process that Paul went through that every one of us that I'm going through right now? And you'll be able to look back on your notes there in your Valley Christian Church app. Well, let's look at Acts chapter 20, beginning in verse 22. And, and what I want to do, read through verse 24, and, and then I want to kind of uh, unpack uh, this passage, okay? So uh, Acts chapter 20, beginning in verse 22, it says, And now, compelled by the Spirit. Now, just kind of take a mental note of that. We're going to come back to that word compelled because it's pretty interesting. It has a lot to do with divine direction. Speaking about Paul, it says, And now compelled by the Spirit, Paul speaking in the first person, I'm going to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there. Time out. Paul, weren't you God's mighty man of faith and power? Didn't you write two-thirds of the New Testament? You don't know what's going to happen? Exactly. He just feels God's divine direction saying, Paul, leave Ephesus and go to Jerusalem. And he admits, I don't know what's going to happen. I really don't know what's going to happen to me here. It goes on and says, I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. This is, this is some dynamite stuff right here, isn't it? He, he says, all I know is this, the divine direction I'm getting from God is this. It's not going to go so well for me in the near future. I, I don't know about you, but I get a little uptight when, when the only direction some people ever hear from God is that I'm going to make you healthy, wealthy, and wise, and you're never going to have another problem. I get a little uptight because that just goes against everything in the Bible. Here the Apostle Paul is in the perfect divine direction of the Holy Spirit. And he says, all I know is this, the Holy Spirit keeps warning me that prison and hardships are facing me as I continue to walk step by step in God's divine direction. We'll come back to that in a minute. Because the truth is, so many times in your life and mine, if we're really honest, whenever we hit hardships, all of a sudden we say, oh no, maybe I'm not in God's will. When in fact Paul says, I'm stepping in God's will, and I know it's going to be hardships and maybe even prison. How many of you would just just say, thank you, Jesus, if God gave you some divine direction today? By the way, prison's in your future. You'd rebuke the devil, wouldn't you? Paul's saying, God's telling me prison is in my future. He goes on and he says, However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given to me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. He says, I'm following God's divine direction. The Holy Spirit is telling me what's ahead is hardship and prison. But you know what? My life is worth nothing to me. The thing that gives my life real value, 
is to finish the race, fulfill the purpose that God created me for. That's what gives my life value. Not about spending my life the way I want to spend it. But what gives my life real value is completing and fulfilling God's plan and purpose for my life. And then he says what that plan and purpose is. What is it? The task the Lord Jesus had given him, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. So, so just, just unpacking this passage. Are you ready now? Four-step process if you're faithfully following Jesus. You can count on you're going to walk through these four steps. I can count on I'm walking through these four steps right now. Here we go. Number one, first of all, we find the Spirit's prompting. The Bible makes this perfectly clear, and it's not weird, it's not spooky or anything like that. Jesus said, and we've talked about this before, how do we hear God's voice? Because Jesus said it this way, my sheep hear my voice. They know me, and they won't listen to anyone else. Jesus is speaking by the Holy Spirit, and he wants to, I believe this, he's speaking all the time. The big question is, are we listening? Are we listening? The Holy Spirit's prompting. The Holy Spirit was prompting Paul. Look at it again. Acts chapter 20, verse 22. We already read it. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem. Now, I'm going to go a little Greek on you right now, okay? So just hold on. Uh, the, the original New Testament was written in Greek. And, and Greek is a very, very technical and is a very specific language. English, comparatively, is a very general and very broad language. And so when we go to Greek, Greek has a lot more depth. So sometimes when we can go back into, and I've got Bible programs that do this for me, and they even tell me how to pronounce this stuff, that when you can go back into the original language of the New Testament, you find there's a little added as a deeper meaning when you drill down deep into it. And so here in the NIV where it says, and now compelled by the Holy Spirit. I drilled down deep into this whole, this, this phrase, compelled by the Spirit. I'm going to Jerusalem. And this in Greek is literally, uh, I'll give you the Greek for it. It's duo henuma. Duo henuma. Paul says, duo henuma, I'm going to Jerusalem. What does duo henuma mean? Duo, duo means compelled, bound, or wrapped by. It means compelled, bound, like, like tied up. Numa is the word for the Spirit. So it's like this. He's literally saying, the Holy Spirit has tied me up. He's compelled me like, I can't do anything besides this thing that God wants me to do. And why was that? Did it mean he had no will, no, no free will? No, it didn't mean that at all. What he meant was this. My heart wants more than anything else to do exactly what God wants me to do. And he says, I'm, I'm compelled. I'm tied up by it. I'm compelled by the Holy Spirit. Hey, if, maybe you can relate to this. Uh, this happened to me this morning, <laughs> just as an analogy. Uh, we have some friends that are visiting uh, with us this week uh, from Cayman Islands, and, and uh, we picked them up uh, at the airport. Uh, and, and my wife, who's just always over the top and awesome and a great hostess, uh, she had a box of chocolate donuts waiting for them in the car. And I'm driving back from JFK, and they popped open the box of chocolate donuts. And you know what happened to me? Duo Numa happened to me. 
I was compelled by the spirit of chocolate donuts as, as it filled the car there. And, and I'm driving, and it's night, and I'm trying to stay awake. And I said, Susie, could I have a chocolate donut? And I thought they were like big donuts, but they weren't. They were little donuts. So you had to eat more of those to get the big donut feel. And so they were all talking, and I was compelled by the spirit of the chocolate donuts. And maybe you can pray for me after the service. But, 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 but just to eat as many of those chocolate donuts as possible. And I only ate like three, and they were little. Until I came downstairs for breakfast today, and I saw the box on the counter, and all of a sudden, do a honomo again. And it called to me, Greg, remember how delicious we are? And once again, I was compelled. I, I was restrained. I was wrapped by the spirit of the chocolate donuts and... That's why I only left one, and I was the one that left the one donut because nobody eats the last one, right? Susie came in, and she said, what's that on your face? And I was like, oh, nothing, nothing at all. It's only 7 o'clock in the morning. The same idea. Listen, I believe even maybe right now at this moment, throughout the week, the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you. The Holy Spirit wants to speak to me. And it's that same idea. Duo enomo. Numa. Compelled by the Spirit. And I think sometimes we, we just need to pay closer attention when the Holy Spirit speaks to us. When the Holy Spirit speaks to us, like, stop what you're doing and help someone out. Stop what you're doing. It's time to start this ministry that I'm going to put in your heart. It's time to write that book. If you're single, guys, maybe it's time to ask her out. Ladies, if you're single, maybe it's time to upgrade from that guy sitting next to you. Do a no That was a joke, by the way. You know, it's okay. It's all right. But by the way, if the Holy Spirit's speaking to you and you see someone else across the room right now, guys, it's time to ask her out. Girls, it's time to upgrade. And when you get married, all I ask is that you name your first son after me, Greg. <laughs> by the way, have you noticed no one's named Greg anymore? What's up with that? We have kids named Steel and Iron and stuff like that. Whatever happened to Greg? You know, it's like gonna, and one more generation is going to go by. No more Filberts, no more Gregs. You know, I, so please just, just give me credit. Just honor me that way. Pay attention to the Holy Spirit's promptings. Because, you know, so, 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 I believe God wants you and I to experience an adventure in life. And it happens when we obey, when we pay attention to the Holy Spirit's prompting. What we're going to discover, if you know the rest of the story, and I won't have time to get into all of it, but Paul does leave Ephesus, and he does start off to Jerusalem. And do you know that there are, I think there's four different books in the New Testament that he ends up writing after he left Ephesus as a result of him following the Holy Spirit's prompting? First and Second Timothy, Titus, Philippians, 
all those were written because he left the comfort of a great place, Ephesus, but he was compelled by the Holy Spirit. I, I believe you and I, God wants to compel us by the Holy Spirit. There's going to be times it's, it's not going to even make sense, but you're just going to know. And, and it's not always good. One of the most uh, clear times that I can remember, and there's been a few times in my life when I just felt this, was back in 2012. In 2012, when I walked off the field for the last time, coaching at Our Lady of Lords High School in state quarterfinal, and we lost, I felt like God, by his Holy Spirit, was saying, It's over. That's it. I didn't understand it. It was the best season that we'd ever had. It was the most successful team and I'd ever been a part of the coaching staff. But I just felt like God was saying, it's over. And I didn't even tell my wife for, for a couple weeks. I was just kind of wrestling with it and it just kept feeling like God saying, you need to hang up your whistle. So I remember I told her and we talked about it and indeed felt like it was time. Didn't know why. Kind of like top of the game in terms of coaching. Didn't know why. Now I know why. Because since 2012, our church has tripled in size. It didn't make sense to me at the time, but God knew. And I had to say goodbye to something that I really, really loved something even better that I love even more compelled by the Holy Spirit that's the first the Spirit's prompting here's the second process if we're faithful to follow Jesus step by step you and I are going to walk through this certain uncertainty certain uncertainty let's look at it again in Acts chapter 20 verse 22 the story that we read Paul says I'm going to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there. Again, just, I can relate to that because that was 2012. Like, I don't know why. I don't have any more demands on my time. I, I, I've been able to do this. At that point, I'd, I'd done it for eight years in a row, four years earlier as well in the 1990s, but for eight years. I, I, I'd been coaching. I was like, oh, everything's fine. Everything's working out. I, I'm taking care of everything I need to at home and my marriage, my family, all this stuff. But I just felt God saying, this time's over. And, and, and I, I didn't know what was going to happen, but I just knew the Holy Spirit was prompting me. It's time to stop that. Hang up your whistle. Paul says, I'm going to Jerusalem not knowing what's going to happen. Certain uncertainty. You know, Sometimes, you know, we, we want all the details, don't we? We pray, and we ask, like, you know, show me everything. Show me the big picture. Just show me everything you're going to do in my life. And, and it kind of reminds me sometimes uh, of that movie, A Few Good Men. <laughs> do you remember that? When, it was, uh, when uh, Tom Cruise goes, I want the truth. And he goes, you can't handle the truth. I think God says, like, you can't handle the details. We want the detail. Listen, if, when I was 22 years old and became the associate pastor of this church and saying, God, show me the details. If God had shown me these details, I would have quit and gone and done something else. I was like, there's no way I could be. A, no, I can't do that. God says, you can't handle the details. I, I'll show you the next step. But you can't handle all the details of my plan for your life. 
I love this in Psalm 119, verse 105. It says, your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light from my path. Your word, God's word, when he speaks to us in his written word as well, through the Bible, when the Holy Spirit prompts us and also through the scripture as well, and those two things need to be together and, and consistent and never contradict one another. Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light to my path. It's not a spotlight to your future, it's a light to your path. Let me say that again. God's word is not a spotlight to your future showing you all the rest of your life in great detail. It's just a little light to our next step. It's a lamp to our feet, not a spotlight to our future. We ask God, what's your plan for my life? And rarely, rarely does God ever give us the details of what he has for us. Do you know how we can be confident that we're walking in God's plan? Here it is. God, today regardless of what you have tomorrow or the next day or month or years or decades from now, I'm going to obey you no matter what you tell me today. You'll never misstep God's divine direction if you're committed to obeying God today. And he will take you on an incredible adventure. And now I look back, May 20th will be 27 years that I've been pastoring in this church. 27 years? I'm only 30 What an adventure. What a ride. And I'll tell you this, and I hope you can agree with me, and you say the same for yourself. I am more committed today to obeying whatever it is that God says to me today than I've ever been, no matter what it is that he says. No matter what it is that he says. And I know with that commitment that you have like that and that I have like that, you know what? We may not know what's going to happen but his word is going to guide our feet and it will be a light for our path. I want some certainty, don't you? Sometimes I, I just want certainty. I want a guarantee. I, I want him to just say, you know, here's the roadmap, follow it. But, but let me just put this the only way that I know how to. If you're not living with a little uncertainty in your life, you are not living by faith. Walking by faith, living by faith means we live with uncertainty. There's just some stuff that's going to come across our radar, that's going to come into our life like, what's going on? And it requires faith. If you knew it all, if you could see it all, there's no more need for faith and trust and believing in God. So if you're not living with a little uncertainty in your life, you're really not living by faith at all. Here, here's the third step in the process that we need to embrace based on what happened to the Apostle Paul. And if you see this over and over and over again throughout the Bible, throughout our lives as well, predictable resistance. There's going to be resistance to God's divine direction in your life. There's going to be resistance to God's divine direction in my life. And resistance isn't always a sign. In fact, According to the Bible, you can see, and according to Paul's life here, resistance is not a sign that something's wrong. In fact, it may be a sign something's really, really right with the direction you're heading. Resistance. The Bible says in Acts 20, 23, I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. 
in every city, prison and hardships are facing me. That's the only thing that I know. Prison and hardships. Predictable resistance. He goes, the only thing I'm sure of about God's plan for my life is this. I'm having resistance. It's not going to be easy. That's the only thing I'm sure of. But he's guiding me. And he's directing me. Let me put it this way. If you're not ready to face opposition for your obedience to God, you are not ready for God to work through your life. If you're not ready, if you're not willing to take some heat because you're following God's divine direction in your life, you're not ready for God to work through your life to impact other people. Because it just always happens that way. Always happens. I can think just in terms of our church, different times where I felt a credible resistance in the church and from outside the church. I remember when the church began to grow and I came to the leadership and I said, listen, we're going to have to go to two services on Sunday. And I can remember people saying, that will never work. That'll never work. I won't be able to see all my friends every single week. How are we going to know who's new, who's not? How is this ever going to work? No, there's, there's no way. That can't be God's plan. Now we have four weekend services every single weekend. I, I can remember when, when, when we felt like uh, uh, about three years ago that the next step that God had for us was to start a campus in Poughkeepsie, multi-site strategy to reach more people. And people were like, there is no way that's going to work. I remember saying multi-site for the first time. And people were like, multi-what? What are you even talking about? And one of the biggest things I had to get past, like, would people even go to a movie theater to watch a video? By the way, thank you for all of you that are joining us in the Poughkeepsie campus right now and online at our online campus. Hundreds and hundreds of people every week between the two, 300, 400 people every week. Never thought it would work. People said, Williamson, you're going to fall on your face. I had pastors saying, yeah, you go ahead and try that, Williamson. Let's see how that works out for you. Resistance. Resistance. Now it's so funny. Sometimes someone will come that they've been going to Poughkeepsie, you know, for like months, and I haven't had a chance to meet them. And, and for an event or something like that, group link, this happened. We had group link, and, and, and someone came in, a woman came in, and she kind of was like taken back. And she goes, are, are, are you Pastor Greg? And I was like, Yes, I have my name tag on and everything. I was like, yes, I am. And she's like, oh, my gosh. I said, what's your name? She told me what her name was. And, and, uh, and I said, why were you so surprised? She goes, you're so short. And I was like, thanks. <laughs> she's like, I thought you were so much taller, you know, because in Poughkeepsie, my head is 18 feet wide, you know, on the big screen there. She goes, like, you're so short. And, and, and I was like, thank you. And then she goes, you look a lot older in person. I was like, wow, I am just, I'm really feeling some resistance right now. Go back to Poughkeepsie, will you please? Oh, I'm just kidding. No, I'm not. So anyway, uh, if, if you're not ready to face opposition for your obedience to God, you're not ready to be used by God. For some reason, when things get difficult in our lives, we always come to this conclusion, God must not be in this. Where would we be if Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, 
said, God must not be in this. Where would we be if the Apostle Paul, feeling compelled by the Holy Spirit that resistance and adversity and prison awaited him in the future, and he said, God must not be in this. None of us would be here. Resistance isn't a sign that you're out of God's will. Resistance might actually be an indication that you're doing exactly what God wants you to do. Let me say that again. Resistance isn't a sign, isn't necessarily a sign that you're out of God's will. Resistance might actually be an indication that you're doing exactly what God wants you to do. The struggle that you're facing today is developing the strength that God knows you need tomorrow. In the middle of that resistance, the struggle that you are facing, that I'm facing today, is developing the strength that God knows we're going to need for tomorrow. Because he does have a plan. And he's preparing you. And he's preparing me to fulfill that plan today. Before we look at the final phase of the process, I want to give you like a little rewind the clock on the Apostle Paul because a lot of us aren't aware of what even brought him to this moment. In Acts chapter 20, in the church of Ephesus, Paul was named Saul and he was a persecutor of Christians and he breathed all kinds of murderous uh, threats against the uh, early church, Christian church and he was responsible personally for, for the death, the martyrdom of, of many Christians and he thought he was doing the right thing until one day he's going to Damascus and this is all recorded in the book of Acts earlier on in the scripture, in the Bible and then Jesus speaks to him and knocks him blind. And Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And in that moment, Saul says these words. It's pretty amazing. He says, who are you, Lord? He's like, I don't know who you are, but I know this, my life's about to change. I don't know who you are, but Lord, you're going to be the master of the rest of my life. Who are you, Lord? And he says, Jesus replies, I'm Jesus. And it changes him. In fact, his name is later changed to Paul because he had such a radical transformation in his life. And there a prophet, meets a prophet after that, Ananias and begins to speak to him some of the planning purpose that God has for him. And you would think this, this man, now Paul, that Jesus appeared to after his resurrection, after his ascension, after he returned to our Heavenly Father and spoke directly to, you, you would think all of a sudden this guy's going to have a great ministry, wouldn't you? But, but history tells us for three years, Paul goes to Arabia and he preaches in Damascus. 
for three years after this, and he has to flee Damascus for his life because they want to kill him. Now, that's a great response to a sermon right there. And then he can't even get a job in the will of God, and so he learns how to make tents. He feels like Jesus has told him, I want you to be a minister. I want you to go to the Gentiles outside of Judaism. And I want you to share who I am in the gospel with them. And he can't pay the bills. And so history tells us for eight years, eight more years, 11 years since the Damascus Road experience, the apostles, he comes to the 12 themselves, and they're like, we don't trust you. You can't do anything in the church. They won't allow him to do anything. 11 years have passed by since Jesus appeared to him. And he's making tents just to pay the bills, to put food on the table. Right in the middle of all the struggle. See, sometimes, here's the reality of divine direction. Sometimes you have to do some things that you don't want to do to prepare you for what God wants you to do. We're all looking for the perfect job that's going to pay us the perfect salary and the perfect setting so we can buy the perfect home and have the perfect car. But that's not reality. The reality is sometimes you and I have to do some things we don't want to do in order to prepare us to do the things that God really wants us to do. And that was the case with the Apostle Paul. Finally, most biblical scholars believe 11 years after the Damascus Road experience, the apostles are saying, listen, let's, let's send some, someone out to the Gentiles. That's anyone who's not Jewish. And tell them, begin to tell them about the gospel. And there's one guy, and his name is Barnabas. Barnabas' name, this is all in the book of Acts, means son of encouragement. And he says, you remember that guy, Paul? And they're like, yeah, whatever happened to him? And Barnabas goes, I want to find him. And I want to invite him to come with me. Because Barnabas was the one being sent out. I want to invite this guy, Paul, to kind of ride shotgun with me while I go to the Gentiles. And the rest is history. Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, Used so mightily by God. If you're not Jewish today, you're here as a result of the Apostle Paul, generations and 2,000 years later. Because of Paul, not Barnabas, Paul. The process that God's going to walk each and every one of us through. When we follow step by step, first of all, the Spirit's prompting. Secondly, certain uncertainty. Thirdly, predictable resistance. And are you ready for number four? The last step in the process? Here it is. Uncommon confidence. Uncommon confidence. Look at what Paul says again. Acts chapter 20, verse 24 to the Ephesian elders. He says, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. It's not about me. Paul came to that point. It's not about me, my life, doing what I want to do, making my dreams come true. 
My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given to me. And what was the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace? If Jesus had told the Apostle Paul, listen, I want you to write two-thirds of the Scripture that for millennium, millennia to come, people are going to be reading those words as the Holy Spirit inspires you what to write. You're going to start churches all across Asia Minor and all the way up into Europe. I think Paul would have said, no way. I am not doing it. Paul came to the conclusion that I think God wants every one of us to come to. My life is worth nothing unless it's to complete the purpose, the task that God's given me to complete. That's what I'm living for. That's what I'm after. Paul didn't have a plan. Paul, Paul, Paul didn't have the details of everything that was going to happen in his life. He didn't have a plan to succeed. Paul had a plan to obey God no matter what he told him. And look at how God used him. You can still be who God wants you to be before you do what it is that God wants you to do. Paul understood that, as we talked about two weeks ago. The who before the do. Paul became who God wanted him to be. And then, after 11 years, he did what God wanted him to do. 11 years of preparation. 11 years of holding on to a dream. And then he did what it was God wanted him to do. So maybe you're here right now and you're saying, what's my purpose? I need a little divine direction. What's the purpose that God has for me? I think the purpose that God has for you is the same purpose that he had for the Apostle Paul. Let's look at it again to testify of the good news of God's grace. He said, that's my purpose. That's my purpose, to testify of the good news of God's grace. Making tents, <laughs> working a job to put food on the table, maybe that's exactly what God has for you right now. Maybe that's exactly what, 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 what maybe you're, you're being prepared right now for exactly what God has for you. But you know what he wants you to do? even while you're making tents or whatever it is, testify of God's goodness and God's grace in your life. Fulfill the plan and the purpose that God has for you. Embrace the process. I'm gonna ask if we could go right back to that scripture one more time that we ended with there. He says, it's all about finishing the race. It's all about completing the task. It's all about testifying to the good news of God's grace. Let me invite you today. Embrace the process. Embrace the process that God has for you. And maybe you're here right now in this moment, you're saying, you know what, I, I would love some divine direction, but I'm just here kind of just checking out what this Jesus thing's all about. The first step in divine direction is receiving Jesus as your, your Lord, just like Paul did. Who are you, Lord? I, I'm not sure about all this, but whoever answers, <laughs> you're my Lord. That's the first step in divine direction.
and then making that commitment daily that I think every one of us as followers of Jesus Christ must make every day. I'm going to obey you today, Lord, no matter what. No matter what your Holy Spirit's prompting is, even when I face certain uncertainty, predictable resistance, I'm going to walk in uncommon confidence that as I obey you, you will direct my steps and I will complete the task and the the race that you've marked out for me. And I want to share the good news of your grace every opportunity that I have with every person that you bring across my path. I'm going to ask right now, would you bow your heads with me and let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you that we, we have the Bible, that we have your word, the scripture, that we can look back and even this magnificent man of real faith, the Apostle Paul, we can identify with him. We, we can identify with divine direction that, that doesn't give us the clarity for next year or, or, or 10 years from now, but gives us the light for our path for today and the step that you want us to take. And so, Father, I pray that you give us courage to embrace this process of responding when your Holy Spirit prompts us, recognizing that there are going to be days of certain uncertainty, predictable resistance, that, that we're willing to go through that resistance. Lord, with uncommon confidence to fulfill the task, complete the task to finish the race that you've marked out for us. And that as you're preparing us for what you have for us, as we're becoming who it is that you want us to be before we do what you created us to do, Lord, may we be committed to testifying of your grace poured out to each and every one of us and in our lives to those you bring across our path. And right now with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I, I just want to ask, have you, have you opened your heart and invited Jesus into your life to divinely direct your life? That's the first step. I'd really be missing the point in this moment if I didn't give anyone and everyone here an opportunity to receive Jesus Christ as their Savior for the first time if you've never done that before. You say, Greg, how do I do that? Well, the Bible makes it clear if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. So how does that happen? Just, just simply by praying with our heart open, by faith, believing in Jesus, that I want you to be my Lord. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins and took my place. So I want to invite you, if you've never prayed and received Jesus as your Savior, that starting point of divine direction, I just want to lead you in a simple prayer right now where you can start this adventure of following Jesus as he becomes your Lord and Savior. Just praying after me. Father, today I receive forgiveness for my sins through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection from the dead for me. 
Lord, I turn away from my sins and I trust in Jesus's perfect sinless life and his sacrifice for my sins. That's how I receive forgiveness. And Lord, I recognize Jesus today. And Jesus, I invite you to be my Lord and my Savior and to direct my life from this point forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Valley Christian Church located in Hopewell Junction, New York. Please visit us online at valleychristianchurch.net for more information. Thank you.